Hey everyone, welcome to The Vegan Vanguard. It is Mexi, and today we have a fan favorite back on the show. Welcome Ash <laughs> from The Horror Vanguard. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good, all things considered. How are, how are you? All things considered, decent. Um, decent. I've actually, uh, you know, I've been dealing with um, a, a lot of back pain, actually. Just like a lot of pain and exhaustion. I think everyone's just like exhausted by this pandemic and being forced to work through yeah. it has just not felt good at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, finding the motivation has not felt good at all. But I can't be too upset because it is spooky season. And as I think many of you should know, or I don't know if you do know, but Halloween is my birthday. So happy birthday to Mexi. I'm still so (laughs) jealous. Like it's the perfect birthday. (laughs) It really is the perfect birthday, honestly. It was such a blast as a kid, and it actually, <laughs> yeah, it, it's still been a blast as an adult, except for this year. Although I am going to meet up with a few friends in the park and have costumes, and you know, try to be socially distant, awesome. um, but still having a nice spooky time. So that should be nice. I'm I'm doing like a reverse Halloween this year, so I'm I'm making a bunch of candy, and then I'm going to go around and like deliver it to all my friends that are in like walking distance of me. Oh, cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm bummed because I usually love like handing out candy to kids. Um, it's like, kind of mm-hmm. like a tradition yep. that I do on like the night of Halloween and watch a spooky movie. Um, but yeah, that's not going to happen this year. Also, I now live in an apartment building, so it's also just not going to happen. So boo-hoo. Same. But anyway, um, we are about to have some fun, at least for the next, you know, hour or so, talking (laughs) about this fantastic movie that you've recommended that we watch, uh, Wolfen. But before we dive into that, I just want to shout out the new patrons. This is a donor-funded show, and we rely very heavily on the generous support of all you wonderful listeners. And we've actually added some pretty cool benefits. So for $2 per month or more, you get access to the Total Liberation Discord server, which Ash is also a part of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's a space that I'm co-running with Mad Blender and Leslie, or sorry, Leslie is Mad Blender. Uh, Mad Blender and <laughs> Catherine. And um, we're hosting bi-monthly political discussions on there, um, which are really fun. Um, it's a really great way to, you know, build community and connect with like-minded people. And also we as always, have our very amazing stickers. Um, one of them says animals are our comrades, and one of them says Animals want capitalism to end. And those were de- designed by Menica Repka of Nooch Design Co. So yeah, check that out. Um, so I just want to say thanks to all the new patrons, uh, Yushin, Jandra, Lo, uh, Girian or Jirian, not sure how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. Matt, Big Chungus, David, and Lane. And also thank you to Rikus, Gabe, Rory, and Barry, who generously increased their pledges. Um, and also Adrianus, thank you for your one-time donation via PayPal. That's another great way to support the show. Um, we will be coming out with merch, <laughs> um, with t-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, we're working with a pretty cool cooperative venture out of California. And hopefully we'll have that set up and organized so that people can, um, 
buy the merch for kind of in time for the Christmas season. But yeah, so looking forward to that. So those are all great ways to support the show or just sharing episodes with friends or family. Um, Oh, and giving us a rating and review on iTunes. So with that out of the way, Ash, (laughs) let's dig into this (laughs) film. Um, So I thought we would start with one of your famous uh, precis. What's the plural of of (laughs) precis? Precises? I'm, I'm... I'm embarrassed, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound plural. Um, anyway, one of your famous rundowns of the plot of this film. We walk in the shallow graves of gods. Think about where you spend most of your day, where you work. Take a moment to soak in the physical space of that office, that Starbucks, that school. Let your mind feel how the walls of the building sit lightly on the soil like a frail ghost. Imagine the building lifting up and drifting away. See the land as if it was never there. What was paved over to make space for for the job you were shackled to? The last brown bear was hunted to extinction in England around 600 CE. The final wolf was slaughtered in New York just before the turn of the century in 1890. A vast forest once covered the entirety of the eastern half of the United States. One unbroken woodland. People were driven off their land, their homes burnt, their cultures and traditions shattered. All to make way for the petty suburban tyrants who dress you down for showing up to work five minutes late. A hell has been made out of a rightful paradise. But the world around us isn't an endless chain of corporate ventures. It's a shallow grave hastily dug to cover our memories and the history of our world. You can learn to see through time. See the grave dirt slough away as the long memory like an old and nearly forgotten god, finds new life in our hearts and in our minds. For you cannot kill a god. You can only try, in vain, to hide yourself from it. Join us as we talk about the 1981 film, Wolfen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Honestly, that recap is probably better than like like that could just be the analysis of the entire film that we present <laughs> we just like drop the mic and and walk away right now <laughs> thank you oh beautiful um yeah so even just listening to that i was like oh there yes you're hitting on so many amazing themes that we can dig into um this is a very theme uh, theme heavy film to dig into um so i thought we might just start with some initial reactions to the film i'm not sure when you first saw this but um uh yeah i know that you are um quite enamored with it so i guess um what were your initial reactions and kind of uh take us through your your wolfen journey (laughs) (laughs) i mean taking you through my wolfen journey it sounds like the most like new age possible thing (laughs) so my, my my journey as wolfen began um uh, no, like um, in in my early twenties, I just like was just like tearing through every like weird horror movie I can find, and like a quest to just keep finding weirder and more obscure stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Wolfen, Wolfen was part of that, and I've kind of just like I've always enjoyed this movie, um, uh, partly because the cinematography is really interesting. Um, like the the Wolfen vision that we get throughout the film, it's it's like a it's a version of thermography, so like thermal vision. Mm-hmm. And this is like like uh, what they did in this movie would later go on to be like perfected in Predator. Like it's it's an early attempt at Predator vision. So like that that stuff is just on a technical level. This movie's just great. 
but then like on on just kind of like a provocative level like i think you're you you really hit the nail on the head when you said like this is a theme heavy movie mm-hmm. there's a lot going on in wolfen and it doesn't shy away from trying to engage with like several several dozen different incredibly heady topics you know it stumbles in a lot of this discourse but nevertheless like it is it is really asking a lot of questions and i think that that's made this movie it's something I revisit every now and then because as as I grow and as I learn more politically and about philosophy and about the world around me, my kind of like response to this film shifts throughout time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what what about you? What what did you what did you think of Wolf? <laughs> well, can I just ask when you watched this in your early twenties? Um, were you vegan then, or did you have your kind of animal liberation politics when you watched this? Um, so I, I started with like vegan, <laughs> veganism, yeah, veganism and vegetarianism when I was 16. Okay. Um, so by the time I saw this, I, w- I was vegan. Um, uh, so yeah, like that, that was kind of already part of my, my politics, but it was still very like uh, informed by like a uh, uh, liberal individual choice, uh, uh, kind of political mentalities, you know, where, where it's, it's less about kind of a collective response to nature and our relationship and capitalism and more about like, Oh, you should, you should be vegan because it will stop environmental change or whatever, you know, like it was still mm-hmm. very early in its development. then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. I just wondered if that was kind of part of what like drew you, drew, drew you to the film. Um, the, the the animals kicking ass is definitely a huge perk for Wolfen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I definitely love that aspect of it. I was, uh, I, I found a lot of it to be really, really funny. Um, and I, I guess we'll talk about some of the stuff um, that I found like really um, kind of humorous. Um, but I really did like the kind of like the overall themes um, and we'll kind of dig into them because um, yeah, some of them I felt were obviously not handled um, as wonderfully as possible, but it was, you know, 1981, was it? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. So we'll dig into that. um, A bunch of stuff around kind of like indigenous representation that I think, uh, yeah, deserves some kind of exploration. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the themes around obviously gentrification, obviously around um, colonialism and just the extermination of all the predators, um, kind of this like revenge of nature, revenge of Gaia kind of themes were also uh, were obviously really, you know, interesting to me. And then there was a lot in there also about kind of like terrorism and it's interesting. Well, I don't want to kind of jump the gun, but yeah, kind of like terrorism and, <laughs> and tying that to um, gentrification and um, even just like the idea of territory, um, kind of colonial territorialization, I feel, uh, which I thought was really interesting. So yeah, um, all in all, <laughs> um, definitely, enjoyed, <laughs> definitely enjoyed the film. And um, yeah, I think there's like a lot to dig into. So in terms of getting started, um, I'm not sure what the best place to start is, but maybe we can talk about some of the inter- uh, issues around gentrification um, and kind of the framing of territory as terrorism or kind of terror. Basically, it starts off with the murder or, well, not the murder, I guess, but people think it's a murder. It's, I guess, a devouring of um, Vanderveer and his wife who are, well, he's like this real estate mogul internationally, I guess. 
Um, and he has this huge project to gentrify the South Bronx. The way that they depict the South Bronx, by the way, <laughs> um, when the, the movie started, it looks like it's just a complete war zone. Like it looks just devastated. I, th- I thought that this was actually a movie set in a war zone or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it is, it's, I mean, like for people who, like me, who like didn't, you know, like I've never lived in New York and I don't have that historic perspective, but to see what it, what it looked like not, not 40 years ago is pretty intense. Is that real though? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One, 100% correct. Yeah. That, that is what those neighborhoods uh, used to look like. What? Wow. Like um, um so some of some of the set pieces like the church um that a lot of the action in this movie takes part in or takes yeah. place in that that was a set. Um yeah. but it it was built on location. <laughs> but I mean so all that rubble all around mm-hmm. that looked like it looked like they had just been carpet bombed. That's what it looked like yeah, for real. A, a lot of that decayed infrastructure, a lot of that like uh just just the, the urban decay in general was a huge part of of the like new york city landscape in the 80s okay i thought that was completely like they had just done they had just kind of overdone this for the film that's actually (laughs) um, i'm like taken aback to to think that that was actually just the way that it looked that really adds a layer to this movie too like like when 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 you kind of like grapple with the fact that like that's just what that space looks like or Mm -hmm. looked like rather Mm -hmm. so yeah the plot was basically that this you know white rich real estate mogul who um apparently has projects all over the world so it's kind of you know tied in with uh, global imperialism um he is mauled and eaten by these super strong and prolific killer wolves (laughs) um (laughs) at the beginning of the film and you get to see through the wolf's eyes and through the wolf's eyes what what did you call it the kind of that's a it's a th- the the technical term is thermography. Like, thermography. So it's like thermal vision, right? Um, so you get to see kind of the wolf vision. Um, and at first, uh, at first, I was like, wait, because they arrived in this park um, in this like this from this limousine, and their limo driver gets out, who's also their bodyguard, and um, they're kind of milling about this park, and they're kind of like doing romantic things before the wolf kills them but the wolf kills the the driver slash bodyguard first and at first i was like wait why are they killing like why are they killing the driver if this is like they're trying to you know um fight against gentrification of their what we later learned to be their hunting grounds um but then they dig into the driver and apparently he's like secret police <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like very much not, I guess, who you think he might be. Um, so that's how it kind of starts. And so it already kind of brings up kind of these issues around gentrification. So there's this guy named Captain Dewey and he's assigned to the case and he's assigned to be working with this woman who is... Um, I guess a special agent that fights international terrorism in quotes. Basically, she just fights against like leftist terror, like in quote unquote terror groups around the world. And that's right? a that's a whole subplot too, because yeah. like uh, Do- Dewey and Neff have like an on again off again relationship, and mm-hmm. they they have this like they're they're taking a stroll through the park and they're kind of just talking. They're talking about Holt. Um, 
the the Native American character in the film mm-hmm. and how Dewey arrested him for murder several years ago. And like mm-hmm. it's expressly laid out that Holt murdered uh, somebody who was like selling him out uh, to the authorities. Mm-hmm. And like Dewey, Dewey kind of reveals that like part of his work has been like fighting against like leftist uh, native groups. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like both both of them are part of like this kind of like right wing state apparatus. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was kind of he was like surveilling the Native American movement, he said. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then so, yeah, they he's paired with um, Neff and she they they list off all the kind of like, quote unquote, terror groups around the world that she's trying to stop or fight against or arrest or whatever and they're all kind of like leftist freedom fighters (laughs) basically (laughs) and it's like hmm okay 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 but yeah so i guess we have to get into the i guess we have to get into the indigenous stuff before we get into the gentrification and territory terrorism stuff because then people won't understand who andy holt is pardon Oh, I was gonna say, I, th- I think that's probably the best place to start with Wolven, given yeah. given the, what this movie's about and how that's kind of problematic, to use a word I'm not a big phrase a fan of. Yeah. <laughs> so let's dig into it. I guess, do you want to um, explain who Eddie Holt is and um, we'll kind of go from there? Yeah. So um, a big a big chunk of this movie is kind of about you know native americans and like a really weird look into like that political struggle coming from the perspective of like a white cop so uh that's that's the gigantic like silo of salt (laughs) that this movie comes with Mm -hmm. but um eddie eddie holt is a construction worker he's he's working on uh repairing a bridge um, but we, we also find out, as we alluded to earlier, like he, he did some time in jail for a murder after um, uh, he was arrested by Dewey. Right. And we, and we also find out that, like, you know, he, he's been involved in like, you know, like, you know, the str- struggle for like liberation. Right. Like He's part mm-hmm. of like some kind of like, like, I don't think they really hammer out what he was doing or the group he was part of. But he's part of some kind of like, you know, like left effort, you know, within the Native American community. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the the gist of his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then they, I guess, romanticize ind- the indigenous people. Like they yes. believe that, um, like he goes to find Eddie Holt to be like, oh, because he he, he, like, he sees suspicious um, of of Eddie Holt being connected to or responsible for these murders. Right. Oh, yeah. So they go to see Eddie Holt. Um, he goes to find him on the top of a skyscraper. Um, so that's one um, also, I guess, accurate uh, part of this movie was that um, a lot of indigenous people did build the skyscrapers in New York, um, obviously, you know, under duress. Um, but so they he climbs up this skyscraper to confront Eddie and asks him about or somehow shapeshifting comes up. Like Eddie kind of fucks with him um, be- <laughs> yeah. because because Dewey is like, oh, do you ever shapeshift? Because at that point, he's kind of suspecting that an animal has done this. 
Um, and um, Eddie's like, yeah, all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, and he's like, do you ever shapeshift into like a wolf? And Eddie's like, yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Um, but then he's kind of makes it seem like it's all in Dewey's head and whatever. So Dewey thinks that, or Dewey suspects that Eddie Holt um, or other indigenous people are shapeshifting potentially into the wolves that are um, killing people. Yeah, that's... brilliant police work <laughs> by by Dewey there. I really gotta say, brilliant what? In- instantly jumping to wizards uh, as as the cause of uh, a brutal murder is uh, is a huge leap. Yeah, how does that come up in the first place? Like, why does he why does he take that leap? Oh, so they're you know like he he's suspicious of the murder at first because these people have been brutally murdered, but um, their their jewelry wasn't taken; they weren't robbed. Right. You know, and like the injuries are kind of weird. It's not a knife. It's not a gun, you know, and then like slowly he starts piecing things together uh, that it's a wolf. But there aren't wolves in New York. Right. As, as you know, I, I mentioned earlier, like, right. There haven't been wolves in New York for a very long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he starts to explore these these other kind of stranger uh, directions, these, these more supernatural paths for solving this crime. Right. So what did what did what did you make of the the kind of representation of indigenous people in this movie? Because like, yeah, even 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 from my like you know like not super well educated on these topics, but like even from kind of just like a one on one perspective, I'm just like, eh, it's a it's a little a little essentialist, a little eroticized, a little awkward, yeah, uh, <laughs> <a> racist. <laughs> Yeah, I was watching it and kind of cringing in a lot of places because I was like, oof, that is some, you know, pretty offensive representation of indigenous people. But it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, Yeah. So, like, on the one hand, you have, um, I guess, Dewey and there's another um, scientist named Fergie. And um, he is, I guess, an expert on... um, like wolves and things like that. Um, he's the one who identifies that the hair is found on these different victims are lupine. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and he seems really obsessed with wolves. Um, but he goes off kind of saying, you know, like wolves and Indians evolve together and basically saying that their societies were very similar and they went extinct together. Right. So it's kind of, yeah. um, just promoting this idea that um, indigenous people are extinct, really like completely erasing their present day political voices and political presence. Um, Cause of course they are not extinct. Um, and so there was that definitely like essentializing um, romanticizing and also just kind of relegating them to the past um, mm-hmm. as if this is something that occurred in the past and there is no kind of colonial present that, um, many indigenous people are still fighting against. And so, yeah, there was a lot of issues with, you know, animalizing them. I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, we, we talked about Twilight recently, um, <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that there was another instance here of indigenous people shapeshifting into wolves, right? Oh my God. Um, I didn't even, I didn't even put together that Wolfen exists in the Twilight universe. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm like, I guess this is a pretty common trope when white people try to write in indigenous people um that you know shapeshifting into wolves is something that's fairly common so there was a lot that was um problematic um but then on the other hand 
for one thing, we talked a bit about how like this is as much a critique of colonialism as gentrification because you know the the co- the colonization of um, America and New England in particular um, is what led to the extermination of all of these predators. Um, and then you know the movie kind of shows the predators like coming and, and fighting back. Um, but the kind of you know colonizer mentality obviously leads to the whole scale destruction of um, the land and obviously um, you know the the violence um, towards indigenous people and then that kind of manifests in this kind of violence of gentrification that we're really seeing in the film. Um, but then on the other hand, also, I just found it so funny that Eddie Holt is always completely fucking with Dewey, like in the most hilarious mm-hmm. ways. So there was that example of being up on the skyscraper and um, Dewey just, or sorry, um, Eddie Holt just being like, yeah, I shapeshift all the time and like really acting extremely creepy like, on purpose. And then um, when Dewey was obviously visibly shaken, like, oh my gosh, like you could be shapeshifting into a wolf. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was just kind of like Dewey, like, it's all in your head or whatever and then kind of creepily goes away um and then there's also this hilarious scene (laughs) that like i i died um so dewey after this encounter is obviously like his interest is really piqued um and so he's following these indigenous people including eddie holt in the middle of the night and I think there's a full moon. Anyway, so he's kind of hanging back in the shadows. Um, and the two other indigenous people with Eddie Holt kind of um, put their arms around him in this kind of like ceremonial gesture. And then they kind of nod at each other and walk away. And Eddie Holt <laughs> proceeds to strip completely naked, get onto the ground <laughs> and like put his hand um, kind of like curl his, his um, fingers around so that he can put like a paw print into the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, he then starts like licking uh, a puddle and like looking at the moon and kind of acting as if he's obviously like turning into a werewolf or about to shapeshift or something. <laughs> and I, at first I was like, okay, first of all, I'm pretty sure you know that Dewey is over there, so why are you doing this? And (laughs) second of all, I was like, okay, holy shit, because I didn't know where it was going, but I was like, holy shit, this is like a completely offensive portrayal of indigenous people. (laughs) Like, good God. Um, And then he starts like running around and like kind of jumping into the water or whatever, and then like when Dewey kind of comes over, he kind of like lashes out even more. Um, but then there's this point where he just kind of like is breathing hard and he kind of snaps out of it. And he just like looks at Dewey and he's like, Dewey, like, it's, what did he say? He's like, it's all in your head or something like that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and he yeah, just like ran away. And I was like, was that just, was he just fucking with him that entire time? It was like unclear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely how I read that scene. I read that yeah. scene as like Eddie, Eddie Holt, like, this is the man who put Eddie Holt in prison and he is yeah. going to do everything in his power to fuck with him. Mm-hmm. And so like like that scene where he's on top of the bridge and he's like kind of saying like, oh, I, I shapeshift into a salmon and an eagle and do whatever. Yeah. He, he's kind of like, he, he he's very vaguely <laughs> threatening to throw Dewey off of the top of the bridge. And he's like, yeah. you can just turn into an eagle and fly away. It's all in your head, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I, I take that as him being kind of like a, a prankster character. He's, yeah. he's definitely, you know taking the piss <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. but it's 
it's not without its problems assuredly oh yeah well because at first i was like wow this is problematic but then i was just like wait he was fucking with him (laughs) and i just like i was like i just have to applaud that whole i was like you really committed to that (laughs) to that prank there um so yeah so that was really interesting um and then also i yeah like i said they kind of correctly um identified that indigenous people um many of them did did build uh new york city skyscrapers um and they also show them at the end um like at the end dewey goes to find eddie holt in this bar that seems to be like an indigenous kind of bar where mostly indigenous people hang out um so i thought that was kind of cool that it kind of showed them kind of vibing in the present day and showed that like of course, there are indigenous people in the city, you know, which is something that I think gets largely erased, especially in America, um, but especially in urban environments. Um, I think that happens a lot. Um, yeah. And then in that scene, he's asking all these questions about, you know, uh, like these wolves and um, I guess I don't want to spoil that at this point. Um <laughs> because that's kind of well i guess maybe maybe we should we should just like lay that out Um, let's just let's just do it let's just let's just go for it yeah so do you want to explain i guess what eddie holt tells him about wolfin yeah so so basically eddie holt explains that they're like uh, a a supernatural being you know maybe, maybe a spirit maybe some kind of god that has existed alongside humanity um, um, since our since our earliest days, and they they prey on the like the the sick, the weak, because that's a that, that that's another part of this movie that we can talk about when we talk about like gentrification. Is that the wolfen uh, also prey on like the homeless or people mm-hmm. with illnesses, right? So there's kind of like an ableism discourse that folds into this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, like they're they're these supernatural creatures, and that like you know this is this is their territory, right? Like. They've lived on New York before humanity has lived in New York. So, like, they see these development projects as threats to their land. Mm-hmm. And that's why they, they killed the the development guy. And it also lets us know that, like, the wolf and are super intelligent because they're able to, like, unlike a real wolf, which is just, like, a the coolest kind of dog that exists, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the, the wolf and understand that like okay these like real estate moguls are gonna like destroy our our territory we need to stop them right they can plan they can think they can understand human actions Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and i i kind of think that they were like even though they're technically not wolves like i almost kind of thought that they were trying to get us to think of animals in general as kind of Mm -hmm. because they say their world their world is older their world is more complete they are gods and so i was kind of wondering if it was kind of um kind of a nod to like okay these are supposed to be special wolves but also like regular wolves their world is also older their world is also more complete i kind of saw that as maybe tying that to kind of nature in general because um i think they also say at that meeting that life will prey on us as we prey on this earth and there's there's this kind of like you know you exterminated the wolves you um came into their hunting territory like of course you know (laughs) of course this is happening so yeah no i I think that's i think that's really correct too because a lot of what um eddie holt and the rest of the people at at this bar are trying to explain to dewey but dewey is like his mind has been shattered at this point because he's he's kind of uh, uh 
a dork. <laughs> yeah. He can't really, he can't handle the world that he's been thrust into, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the, like one of the things that they're explaining, like I really love that line. Their world is more complete, right? Because they kind of flesh that out, and like you know, wolves wolves kill because they're hungry, and they kill to to defend their families and their land, right? Mm-hmm. You know, humans kill for a whole bunch of much worse reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, and, and, and in that sense, like this is kind of challenging anthropocentrism. Yeah. Right. Because like, you know, like they're they're making the argument that like the society in which wolves live mm-hmm. is is a more developed society. They're they're more advanced in terms of their social relations mm-hmm. and, and their their like internal dynamics than humans are. We're we're the ones who are backwards in that sense. We're the ones who are incomplete and still trying to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I really, really liked that line because I, I feel that anthropocentrism is such a large problem and how we process the world around us mm-hmm. and anything that pushes against that is is just something that i really connect with yeah absolutely yeah and they kind of talk about the fact that you know they said like you know we have all this technology but we've lost our way and kind of implying that we are actually part of that world like we are actually part of that world that is older and more complete um but we've lost our way um and a lot of that obviously has to do with like um colonialism technology quote-unquote development um so yeah i i did enjoy that um aspect of it as well but then so dewey kind of like loses it at this point because and and again (laughs) every all the indigenous people in the bar also are fucking with dewey because after they give this whole explanation about the wolf in i think it's eddie is just like whatever these are just legends dewey like get a grip or like get a life kind of thing and then he Mm -hmm. starts making this like weird sound and then everyone in the bar starts making this sound and like kind of yeah. looking and like like taunting Dewey. So anyway, so he's kind of like losing it at this point because he believes in all of that. And then um he kind of stumbles back to where um the Vanderveer Vanderveer has this like um model built of the of the big development that he wants to put in the south bronx um and he kind of stumbles up there and is just like kind of talking muttering to himself and it's just like territory like terrorism terror and he kind of like puts it all together um because at this point they've blamed um i guess another quote leftist quote-unquote terror group um (laughs) which was really funny so they they blamed this like other terror group um that had it out for vanderveer and whatever and they had said like I guess they had admitted or they were asked, you know, um, does like fucking with him include assassination? And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, So they blamed this other leftist group. It was also really weird because they said that the leftist group had like a motto and it was the end of the world through wolves or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, what kind of a motto is that? Yeah, it's like, so So the group, so it's like, I mean, like, that's another weird subplot this movie takes. So uh, yeah. Neff, our other character, is part of, like, a private security firm mm-hmm. uh, that was contracted by Vanderveer's company to, to kind of protect him and his efforts and stuff. And, like, we, we, we even get, we get treated to this scene where, like, Neff's team are, like maybe maybe not as far as fabricating evidence but they are assembling the narrative that this that this terrorist terrorist group that's called the 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 Gotterdammerung you know like they're yep. they're responsible for Vanderveer's death and like 
the 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 Gotterdammerung is like a reference to this old play that's like about a war between man and god or like the like humanity and gods Mm-hmm. you know so like like it's like this this other level of like what is going on in this damn movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but you can tell that dewey doesn't believe that this terror group actually did it because he believes in the wolfen now um and so uh and oh uh, yeah i guess we should just keep going to the end so um yeah, by the end, the Wolfen have tracked down uh, Dewey and the woman and the, is it the chief of police? It's like another higher up yeah. in the police. And they've cornered them. They kill the chief of police. Um, and I was honestly like, I really wanted them to kill Dewey and the woman. <laughs> because to me, that would have like made sense. Because they're obviously cops, like they're part of this whole machinery or whatever. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so they end up escaping that situation and go up to the floor where the Vanderveer model development is. And then the Wolfen like burst through the windows and are going to kill Dewey and the woman. Um, but then Dewey like drops his gun and goes over to the, the, um, the model of the development and picks it up and smashes it. And the wolfen are just like, Hmm, like, yes, like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay, bro. Sure. (laughs) Like, all right. Like that's good. Yes. Like that's what we wanted. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That was obviously hilariously awesome. And then by the end, Dewey is like covering for them. Um, Mm -hmm. he's like, don't shoot them. And then, um, he covers for them in another way as well. So um, anyway, he kind of comes to, I guess, the realization that um, all these things are linked, right? So the idea of territory um, is linked to terrorism um, and just terror in general. And they kind of make it seem like he's come to realize that gentrification itself is terror, um, not you know, what indigenous people are doing or not what even these like leftist quote unquote terror groups are doing. Um, So that's positive. But I don't know if Neff had any kind of like realization like that. So I'm like, Neff probably should have died. (laughs) I I think I think the the end of this movie kind of falls into a a problem that happens to a lot of horror films. And it's like the only the only way to f- to fend off gentrification and and colonialism and all of these things is is through collective action and collective understanding right mm-hmm. these are these are social problems and so they need to be faced as a society mm-hmm. you know and it's like you, you like individualist action won't matter right and then like like if if yeah. the head if the head of a major company who was doing a development project in New York City uh, mysteriously died in a park the board of directors would appoint another head of that company. Some money would move around and the project would keep going, mm-hmm. you know, like that's not what stops development projects. Right. So smashing, smashing the, the model at the end is kind of, it's, a, it's, it's <laughs> symbolic for us, the viewer, Yeah. but in kind of, in a, in a it, like, like when you, when you put like some critical spurs to it, it kind of just like shake, shakes apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see Dewey grow and realize that his entire life has been a sham and in service to everything evil. <laughs> but like, yeah. like, oh, like definitely I was, I was uh, uh, hungry as a wolf for something a little more at the end of this movie. Yeah. 
No, definitely. Well, to me, I was just like, well, they both should die. Because I was like, if you're protecting your hunting ground or whatever, and you're protecting it from gentrification, then like, yeah, surely you're going to attack the cops who are only there to protect private property. Um, And the woman who um, apparently was doing just that, you know, in a private firm for Vanderveer. Um, So yeah, I was just like, okay, so the the model has been smashed. So I guess it's not going forward. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, it was mostly just a symbolic thing. But I was like, No, yeah, you should have should have pushed pushed a bit more on that. Um, Yeah. And I think it also kind of ties into kind of like the, the the portrayal of like native americans in this movie because like eddie mm-hmm. eddie holt and and like all of his coworkers and friends are like they're they're more they're less like characters and more like set pieces because of how this movie ends right like mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't get resolution like the ending that i think this movie wanted to work to was like dewey and holt somehow teaming up resolving their personal conflict and then like figuring out an ending together, right? Because it kind of it sets him up as a red herring, and then just drops him halfway through the movie, mm-hmm. you know. And we don't we don't resolve Eddie Holt's character. We don't resolve all the stuff we set up with him, you mm-hmm. know. We the movie just forgets about it when when we don't need him to to kind of act crazy and like suspicious. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that's a that's a shortcoming of the film that plays into how it treats. Um, you know, like indigenous people. And I think mm-hmm. it, it it does connect into a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, right? Like extinction is the wrong framework here. Oh, yeah. You know, like extinction is what happened to the dinosaurs because an asteroid uh, blew them up and there was nothing anyone could have ever done about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like wolves and bears and stuff like that wasn't extinction. That was murder. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that was, that was a, a slaughter, you know, and like the, the same... Or like, you know, a similar context can be applied to like, you know, native populations, right? That's a genocide. That's not extinction. Mm -hmm, And like, mm -hmm. I think this movie is like folding all of this stuff together into like this very common colonialist narrative of like, oh, all this stuff just went away. And now we have cities and there are some upset people that we have. And they're upset that we have cities. And Mm -hmm. like, but that that's horrible. (laughs) That's a horrible colonialist narrative that's kind of developing in there. Yeah. And, and like the extinction thing, like, even if you do frame it as a genocide, um, I think for a lot of like Americans, they just kind of think that indigenous people are gone now, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, cause it's like, well, they're not extinct though. Like, look, there's so many of them sitting in this bar. Like they built all these skyscrapers, like their presence is very much here. They're just being intentionally invisibilized and their very real and legitimate political claims to this land and this territory are being paved over, like literally. Um, and so that was a really important theme that was brought up in the film, but you're right. Like there's no resolution to that. It's just kind of like, well, I guess that's going to continue um, and then I also thought it was a bit confused because, um, like, because Wolfen, they framed it as like, oh, Wolfen prey on, um, you know, the poor, um, the sick, the abandoned, the, the people who quote unquote won't be missed. So they're largely preying on like poor black homeless people. <laughs> um, so I'm like, okay, hang on. <laughs> um, you're fighting, you know, gentrification because that's on your hunting grounds, but your hunting grounds are basically like picking off poor sick people. So it's like, okay, fantastic. The housing project has been 
scrapped symbolically, I suppose. Um, but then it's like, okay, so now they just get to keep eating <laughs> like poor sick people, right? Right. Um, and then again, yeah, like there's no resolution for any of the indigenous people. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a strange, like there's so much great, um, you know, so many amazing themes brought up that like, yeah, could have been really resolved in a super impactful way. But I mean, like, I guess, again, you know, like white men writing in the 80s, <laughs> um, probably <laughs> you're not going to have like something super revolutionary. But um, but yeah, there's there could have been kind of a lot done with that at the end, I think. Yeah. And I think another thing, another thing about this movie, and this is something that like every every time I talk about wolves, I have to talk about Lucy and David Mech. So Lucien David Mack is an American biologist, and in 1970, he writes a book called The Wolf, The Ecology and Behavior of an Endangered Species, published by the University of Minnesota Press. Mm -hmm. um, Lucien David Mack is the guy who invented the alpha wolf idea. Yeah. N nowhere, nowhere else has this idea ever existed until, until he breathes life into it. Um, it's fake. It's, it's been totally disproven at this point. Uh, he did all, all of the research he did for that book was based on captive wolf populations mm -hmm. right so like un unnatural pairings like like of wolves just a bunch of wolves that got dumped together in like zoos and stuff so uh, of course like th those wolves have weird social striations because they're in a horrible wolf prison mm -hmm. um, but naturally in the wild well there are no alpha wolves wolves have family packs and much more complicated social dynamics than that it's not just a big strong man who's in charge of everything yeah. And I think like this, this movie kind of, it's not the worst when it comes to wolves in cinema, but it's definitely informed by like that, that kind of zeitgeist that emerges after, after Max book posits the idea of the alpha wolf. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess in what way, like, do you think there's ties to kind of this idea of patriarchy or do you think that, cause there were several wolfen that were kind of hunting together. I wasn't sure if there was like an alpha wolfen. Um, so um in 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 the book <laughs> i don't, oh, I don't want to be that guy but like um in so so this is this is based off of um a, a book by whitley striber um called the wolfen um mm. but the the book is like all about like like the wolfen have like an alpha and it's like very like lucy and mm. david mac pack dynamic stuff going on in there and i gotcha. think like there, there there's some like connective parallels in this right with like mm -hmm. Dewey being like this former police chief captain, he's like this like old gray alpha wolf that gets called back in to solve this crime. And like that that same kind of like individualist mentality seeps through a movie that's about a collective social problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the it definitely left uh, a lot to be desired um, <laughs> in uh, in that sense. Um, yeah, and it's interesting because that also is the case in Twilight that, again, like, <laughs> again, like white people writing indigenous people as shape-shifting into wolves and it very much relies on like, yeah, there is an alpha and there's like this whole dominant system. So yeah, just very, very interesting. <laughs> right. And we even, we even get that, that conversation between Neff and Dewey. You know, where, uh, uh, you know, like Dewey's talking about being a cop and like, you know, the reason oh, yeah. you know, that he does it is he literally says, because I like to kill. Yeah. And and it's I, I think it's it's meant to be a joke, right? A joke yeah. that in 2020 does not stick. Mm -hmm. But like he, he, he doesn't just say like, oh, I like I do it because I like to kill. 
haha, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like, because I like to kill. This morning I tried to kill a rabbit. And, like, yeah. he, he goes on about his, like, just deranged bloodlust. Yeah. He really, and, really and does. Like, and, like, like Wolfen is the movie that if, if you just want uh, un, unhinged discourse, this film just keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. I know. It's, like, there's so many parts in it where it's, like, the politics here are kind of confused. Because, yeah, there was that moment. Um, there was also the moment of... Um, so the Wolfen basically, like, eat the bodies, but they, they leave different um organs that are diseased um and with one man they, they either took his brain um or they left his brain no i think they took his brain yeah they, they they took his brain yeah yeah and they make this comment of like what are they gonna do with the brain and he's like i don't know maybe dribble it down wall street <laughs> so it's like you're kind of it's like you're you have all these jabs like against like wall street the cops um almost like imperialism even um colonialism right but then um in so many other ways like the politics are confused obviously it's like you know the problematic representation of indigenous people and then as you said kind of this individualist um kind of i guess liberal kind of ending where it's just kind of very symbolic and nothing actually gets resolved (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i i completely agree like this is but part of the reason this movie has been so compelling to me over the years is because, like, this movie just refuses to resolve anything. It mm-hmm. sets up all of these plots, all of these arcs, all of these different themes, and then it, it ends with a man who has lost his mind smashing <laughs> a model city and then and then lying about the existence of, like, demigod wolf spirits. Yeah. You know, like, like it it, it goes completely off the rails and, like, so this is 1981, right? And the 80s were like, this is the peak time for just really formulaic horror monstery type movies, right? You know, like there were, there were so many like animal name horror movies, right? Mm-hmm. And like the, the, for, the formula is there's one guy who through the course of the movie starts off with like, there's no way giant leeches are responsible for these deaths. And then by the end of the movie, He's working with some scientists <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a thing that will kill the giant leeches that it turns out have been killing everyone in the town. Mm-hmm. And like this movie slots into that so perfectly. You know, you've mm-hmm. got the cop who's like, there's no way it's magical wolf spirits that are killing everyone. And then he meets he meets Eddie Holt, who's like, actually, there is a way it's magical wolf spirits. And then like mm-hmm. it goes completely off the rails after that. It completely rejects the kind of like formula yeah and like the the movie in effect loses itself completely in that yeah yeah and then at the end because he's so convinced it's just like okay so now is this leftist group gonna continue to take the fall for this crime that you know the wolfen have done you know <laughs> because right, you yeah, just like what, saw them what, what, what's what's the takeaway there like magic magic wolf spirits that defend uh, ancestral hunting land and stop development projects good uh left left groups who work towards similar ends bad <laughs> yeah because i'm like okay yeah you you've basically set them up for the fall there was a lot of stuff around how they were basically going to just like force a confession out of them um mm-hmm. and then there was even this scene where they showed that police or like SWAT teams had surrounded the the groups wherever they were and there was a shoot off and they had killed people in this leftist group 
Um, so it's like, okay, so they are going to continue to take the fall so that the wolfen can run free and eat homeless people. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think like... <laughs> There, there are so many strange parallels and narratives inside of this, right? So, like the wolfen, the the wolfen are are very symbolically collected by the connected by the narrative of this film into like like the the struggle of of like Native Americans and like left politics. Mm-hmm. But this the, the movie kind of it, it does something that you see a lot in liberal politics, where like. Uh, they'll they'll metaphorize everything, right? Everything becomes metaphor to, and then like symbol and aesthetic, and it loses its roots in reality, right? So like mm-hmm. uh, the, the the movie, the heroes of this movie are two people who've made their entire careers to demonize left political struggle. Yeah, and then throughout the course of this movie, we see a left political group framed uh, for a series of murders that we know they didn't commit. And mm-hmm. we have, um, you know, like a, a Native American man who's got a really interesting and compelling story arc who just gets dropped halfway through the movie after mm-hmm. he's either pranking the cop protagonist or being depicted as being like some kind of like out of his mind shaman or something. You know, it's either mm-hmm. it's either like a, a ninth dimensional joke or it's incredibly racist. And I don't know which one it is. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, it seems weird because on the one hand, it seems like they clearly are sympathetic. Like the as a as a viewer, you are supposed to be sympathetic to the cause of killing this real estate mogul and you know, you should be sympathetic to the cause of fighting against gentrification. Um so yeah, like you said, it, it's fine when Wolfen do it, but then leftist groups who are committed to the same cause it's not fine when they do it or they should take the fall um so it just becomes kind of strange because then it's like okay are we actually just kind of like deifying these wolves um and not actually connecting them to this broader idea of you know anti-colonialism and um anti-imperialism and you know anti-gentrification and all this stuff um are we actually just turning them into these like fantastic monsters that should live on (laughs) um you know for because they're so magical or you know it just it kind of became pretty confused um but yeah i mean i think like as leftist commentators we can definitely um dig into all of these things and um yeah i think there are so many great themes brought up and like in the way that they are brought up there's just so much to dig into that like i think if you're somebody watching this with leftist politics you can kind of like read into a lot of things that are that do seem pretty cool like uh, yeah, just like the random things, like dribbling the brain down Wall Street and things like that, like or the the cop admitting that he's a cop because he loves to kill. <laughs> um, to me, even that, like it seemed like a joke, but it also seemed like it was a bit serious, you know. Um, I think that's which, this this whole movie, though. Like it kind of it yeah. seems like a joke, but like is it really? Like this movie's very yeah. tongue in cheek with all that. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, anyway, uh, you also have written down psychogeography, acid communism, <laughs> and wolfen. <laughs> Would you care to uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, so I think for for me, and I, I talk about this a lot, but there are kind of there are kind of three three kinds of movies for me. There are like objectively good, 
fantastic high watermarks of cinema you know things like wnuf halloween special dawn of an evil millennium the exorcist like movies like that that are just like these are just fine pieces of art well-crafted concise like just good and then there's like there's there's the middle of the road stuff that's not it's not bad because it tries to do something and fails it's just bland Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of the conjuring movies the annabelle stuff like eh, it's just it like the the uh, marvel movies are great examples of this like i've seen most of them i can't remember most of them you know like they just pass through my mind there's nothing there and then there are like movies like wolfen which like try to do a lot wow i just said wolf and then a bunch of dogs started barking that was pretty cool yeah but, I heard that. <laughs> but no then there's movies like wolfen which try to do so much and like it's it's kind of like a spectacular failure that has a bunch of success in it and it's it's so compelling because of how weird it is and i think like it's 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 a little reductive to just kind of say like oh like it's a it's a it's a bad problematic movie moving on you know like we can do a lot more with the text of Wolfen, right? We could do more interesting things than just boil it down to like easy one-on-one moralizing, right? And like part of that is like, you know, so like we we live in a world that's subsumed by capitalism. Our past is is entirely devoured and and ground up, you know. Well, like, I mean, we see this in cinema: constant, endless remakes and reboots of of franchises. Nothing new can exist anymore. And and this is this is collapsed to the horizon of the future, right? Nothing new can exist anymore. You know, it's incredibly difficult to make something new right now. It's 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 this totalizing nightmare world. It's capitalist realism. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but so how do we how do we go beyond that, right? You know, and like Mark Mark Fisher in in one of his final uh, it was I think it was the it was an introduction to a book that he never got to complete uh, called Acid Communism. Um, but the 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 basic gist of it is like like you know what what is acidic what is acid right like it's simultaneously like this uh uh, psychological expansion of the possibility of horizons and this like dissolving force you know it's like how do we go through you know like we can't escape capitalist realism but we can go through it right Mm -hmm. and like i think wolfen wolfen is trying to explore in that direction (laughs) But unfortunately, Mark Fisher wasn't writing this stuff in the 80s, and the people who made Wolfen certainly didn't read it. Um, so it, it is like, it, it is begging these questions, right? Because like, you know, like Wolfen is very, very clearly letting us know that the system can't be reformed. You know, mm-hmm. the, the same system that created the, the expansion project wins at the end of Wolfen. You know, the wolves, the wolves lose. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Eddie Holt loses, you know, like these left political groups lose. Like it's a very it's a very grim ending, but it is a very educational ending in a way. Right. Like the the individualist approach will not succeed in Wolfen. Right. Like we need that, like much like the Wolfen themselves, we need to collectivize. Right. Or we need to form a, if you will, pack. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's kind of like something really compelling, right? And I think psycho so psychogeography is this idea from from the situationists where like the very construction of our cities dictates part of our psychological landscape. Right? The the world that we build for ourselves and the world around us shapes how we interact with each other. 
and like part part of our job of of finding new paths forward paths that literally don't exist right now is is challenging that that relationship right you know like when we 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 all if if you live in anything even close to a city your community is full of countless empty empty buildings you know empty empty factories empty offices empty apartments your city is also full of of a, a growing homeless population right the solution is obvious these people go in these buildings and live there yeah <laughs> but because of the way we're conditioned because of our relationship because of uh, to to this like psychogeographical landscape we don't see that we don't see an empty apartment and go, that's a home for the homeless guy I saw two blocks over. We see an empty apartment and we don't think. It's, mm -hmm. it's, we're blind to it. It's taken out of our landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think like Wolfen, it doesn't, it wants to go there. It wants to explore all these spaces and challenge what land is, what space is for. And like, I find that really compelling about the movie, even if it's not complete, mm -hmm. even if the movie isn't the roaring success that in my heart I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said. And, and yeah, it's a, a fair assessment. You know, I think it's great. It's great to see people like attempting this kind of stuff, um, even if they aren't really able to like bring it full circle um, near the end, you know, because like I said, yeah, watching this film, um, I think your mind can go to these places um, even if you don't necessarily have a leftist politics, you know, um, and then if you do, like, of course, your mind will kind of go to these places as well. Um, and yeah, you can critique how they kind of tied it all up together. But yeah, I just yeah, I think that was really, really well said. Yeah, so I very, very much agree. Um, you also have here Wolfen Apocalyptism post-lapsarian total liberation um yeah so a little a little, a little window into how i take notes <laughs> yeah um no i've been reading yeah, um it. combined and uneven apocalypse by evan calder williams a phenomenal book mm -hmm. um in in the introduction he kind of uh, argues for a discursive space between uh crisis and apocalypse um, the, the the kind of the kind of uh, uh, Greek definition of an apocalypse is, is is kind of this emergence of new knowledge, right? It's a fundamental change in the way things can be. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's a it's a recombination of of society that mandatorily dictates new ways of being together. Uh, whereas a crisis is is deadening. Crises close the door on on new potentials and new futures right so in in this kind of discursive framework he's arguing for apocalypticism right like he's arguing for an embrace of the apocalypse because the apocalypse can change what's going on and this isn't some kind of like um I, I like a like doom saying you know not not arguing for a meteor destroying the planet like a, a movie apocalypse but arguing for a more poetic apocalypse mm -hmm. A, a, a fundamental kind of, kind of like a revolution yeah it's, it's similar similar um to, to that I, I would definitely agree but like yeah like this this fundamental mm -hmm. shift and and how we can see the world and this embrace of new potential and i think like there's there's, there's this impulse especially in like <clears throat> anything anything left of center in in political discourse and even even a lot of political discourse on the right there's this impulse to like want to return to the Edenic, right? Like we're all trying to go back to the garden in some way or another. You know, we want a beautiful world that we've, that we feel that we've lost. Right. But the problem with that is like one, like that's, that's never existed. Right. We've, you know, 
it, to continue the metaphor, like once once the fall happened, once humanity fell, like that's that's an irreversible state. There's no going back from that. You know, like we there and like in a more literal sense, like it's never existed for us. You know, like there's there's never been a, a truly better time that we can return to. You know, like we can't go back. Mm -hmm. That's not that's not something that can happen in any meaningful sense. And so, like, there's there, there's this impulse to do something prelapsarian, right? To try and to try and return to this moment before we were corrupted by like capitalism and empire and and all of these things. But that doesn't really that doesn't work. So we need something postlapsarian, right? We need something that embraces the fact that okay, like this is the condition we're in. This is the world that we're in. This is the reality that we face. We we can't go back from it. We can't shed this thing. So we have to go through it. You know, we, we have mm. to we have to go on and into the next thing. And I think like Wolfen isn't a werewolf movie, but it's in the greater family of supernatural spooky wolves. And there's always something that's kind of compelling about the act of transformation in these movies. Right. Um, because like we want to think of transformation as like, oh, like the the, the hideous caterpillar turns into the beautiful butterfly you know, transformation is always something positive. It's always into the known, from a known state of unhappiness and pain to a known state of bliss. But like what, what Wolfen and what kind of werewolves and, and this kind of metaphorical transformation to the wolf does for us is it lets us know that like often the, you know, like the transformation is into something unknown, right? It's into something strange, right? We're going into the unknown with this one. And I think that that's that's something that's kind of like compelling with within the world of Wolfen, right? Like from from Dewey's perspective, like you can never go back. His entire world is destroyed. He knows that he's been working for the bad guys his entire life. And on top of that, like it's safe to assume that all of his religious beliefs, his understanding of the world around him, his, his trust in the laws of science is all shattered. You know, he can never go home after this point. He has to go forward. And I think that in that is a lesson for us all. Damn, I like that. I like that you say, because I've been saying this a lot to myself lately um, in terms of my chronic illness and just like managing, yeah, like my body image along with my chronic illness and all this other stuff. Um I keep saying to myself, like the only way out is through, you know, like the only way out is to actually just like, do the real work that you need to be doing kind of thing. Um, and I kind of just love that saying in general for a whole bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, I think that definitely applies as you're saying to our kind of current condition. And yeah, the only way out is through, there is no past that we can return to, you know, like the right wing definitely oh, yeah. wants to return back to some, you know, mythical past, um, that probably wasn't even that good for them like probably wasn't even that good for like you know 80 percent of people but it was seemed better than now you know um but yeah i think you're completely completely correct um the only way out is through and that is kind of scary because um you know like we have so much baggage mm -hmm. um not only just like culturally and um you know systemically um kind of like uh, with like the base of our economic structure but we also have so much baggage just internally like we've been so colonized by these same systems so it's really difficult to think like how do we get through them to something positive on the other side but it's like 
that's the only way out, you know, like we, that's the work that we need to be doing, you know? Um, So there's kind of like no two ways about it. And there is kind of something freeing about that. Like I always, when I was in university and like learning all this horrible stuff, like I'm, I'm teaching now environmental studies and um, my students are often very depressed (laughs) (laughs) leaving my classes. Although I try to always leave on like some kind of um, hopeful, you know, in some kind of hopeful place um, and some, you know, leaving them feeling like politically, they, they have a place politically to get engaged and get involved. Um, But, you know, going through all of this myself and and learning all of this, um, in my twenties and everything, I, you know, you, it's easy to fall prey to the idea that like, man, ignorance is bliss, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not, it's not right. Because the only way out is through, right. It's not bliss. It's actually better. I, I think it's just so much better to like confront these things because it, like you said, with the, the idea of apocalypse, like it, it's an opening. Um, and you don't have that opening without it. Right. Yeah, like the the so the literal the the original and literal Greek definition of apocalypse is an an uncovering, right? And like mm-hmm. this this is that experience of like losing that kind of blissful ignorance and uncovering the truth of the world we live in. Like once you once you get this stuff, you 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 can't mm-hmm. go back, right? The only way to to heal right. this is to keep going forward. And it's almost kind of like in terms of capitalism and its internal contradictions, like there's also no going back, right? There's there's no going back to um, a different kind of capitalism that is gentler and, you know, like it, there's no going back to that, right? Like at this point, the wealth has been so thoroughly accumulated into such few hands that, you know, it, it makes even the idea of social democracy as as a solution you know next to impossibly like structurally and systemically you know um so there's also just no going back in terms of like the contradictions of capitalism have brought us to this point and especially with the environmental crisis and everything like that like there's no returning this system and i think that um yeah i I think that definitely big changes are going to come and it probably will be in the form of some kind of apocalypse and by that i do mean um you know pretty bad things happening with our environment um and with a lot of people around the world but um but yeah i think that's like the only thing that's going to really present us with this opening i mean combined obviously with like radical um communal action and things like that um and building up the world that we want to see but yeah i mean it's it's i guess scary in a way but also really exciting yeah and i think like this presents us with an opportunity because i think you're completely right like you know, we can't, uh, uh, the, the, the quote unquote, like kinder, gentler capitalism, like that's still colonialism. That's still environmental catastrophe, mm-hmm. right? Like that, yeah. that, that kind of like uh, unwinding the clock, like, like part of the reason we can't go back is because it was never there in the first place. Y- mm-hmm. You know, like this, this, the vision of a gentler yesterday is a vision that precludes the horrifying violence that yesterday was structured upon. You know, like the, the only part about it that's that's soothing is the fact that we are ignorant of the like 10 years ago. I was ignorant of what 2020 was like because I, I wasn't alive during it. I had no way of, of being cognizant of the events of today. You know, like the, the only part of yesterday that's blissful is the fact that yesterday I didn't know today, you know, but like <laughs> that that's something we can never return to. Right. It's it's pure fantasy to try and reach back into the past like that. Mm hmm. You can't get innocent twice. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wonderful. Wonder. Wonderful discussion. Thank you, Ash. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to to bring up? I only had one more note, and that was just like. Um, it annoys me. And I, I haven't um, noticed that I've been noticing this a lot more lately because I read a BuzzFeed article of all things, but it was listing um, all of the kind of on-screen romances that become really creepy when you find out the age of the people involved. And it like 90% of it is um, a man being far, far older than the woman and many times the quote unquote woman just being a girl, like being mm-hmm. an underage, like 15, 16 year old girl, 17. And the man is like in his thirties or something like that. Right. Um, and we're always presented with these kind of love, love stories where it's like that kind of dynamic at play and nothing, you know, I mean, obviously there is something wrong if the, the girl is underage, um, but it's not in the way of like, Oh, we're celebrating that like love knows no age and love knows no bounds. It's just kind of like problematic male gaze, um, power dynamics kind of a stuff. And, um, I just noticed in this one, I was like, she looks pretty young <laughs> compared to him. And I looked it up and she's 16 years younger than him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it just, yeah, that also kind of, uh, bugs me i guess in film when they do stuff like that um especially because i saw this other study that was um asking people what their preferred like age of a partner was or oh yeah what what age do you find people most um attractive and for women it went up uh steadily like if you're a 20 year old woman then it's a you say a 20 year old man if you're a 30 year old woman then you say a 30 year old man um it kind of goes up um you know in accordance that way but then if for men um no matter what age the man was it was they found uh, like a 20 year old woman the most attractive (laughs) and i was like that's a that's that's a problem (laughs) yeah definitely i think wolfen is for for all it's trying to do it's still 100 percent beholden to like the parts of its political discourse that it's completely unaware it's trying to engage in like it doesn't it doesn't even consider patriarchy as as part of this overall process you know yeah for sure yeah so definitely that's it's awkward it is like the 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 love scene in here like the relationship between uh neff and dewey is just like i don't know it's it's just like what is (laughs) these are two people who clearly don't like each other (laughs) I know. I was actually so surprised when they were like making love and Wolfen was like looking at right. them with the thermovision. I was like, wait, I, I feel like I like looked away for a second and looked back and they were like making out. And I was like, hold on. Yeah, the, the only thing. <laughs> you really didn't sell me on this relationship. <laughs> yeah, the, the only thing I can make of that is like, oh, like, like the Wolfen is watching them and they're having sex yeah. and that's animalistic. And are, is that what they're going yeah. for? But at the same time, it's like. There's, there, there's like every interaction we have between Neff and Dewey is totally passionless. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's not, it's not even one of those it's, relationships where they, they like, they clearly have some unresolved issues and all of that tension boils over into like a toxic, spicy night, you know, like, no, yeah. it's just like, these are, they're so bored around each other. <laughs> I know. Yeah. There's no tension at all. So I was just really like, what the hell? And then also I was like, yeah, it was really interesting that like Wolfen was watching them and I was like, why isn't Wolfen killing them? Is it because they're having sex? <laughs> like like Wolfen tracks them to the home and is watching them 
And I'm like, you could just break in right now and slaughter them. Right. But are you like respecting their romantic time? <laughs> yeah, you're you're Wolfen. What are you doing? Like, why are you not being Wolfen right now? <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, definitely. I have I have no I have no good read on that sex scene. I don't know why it's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was also really hilarious when um he kills like he kills the chief of police. Um, and then I don't know if it's like Dewey or something like falls into the car and the car just explodes. Like it just like straight up explodes. It's just, it comes out of nowhere. Um, it's really wonderful actually. (laughs) Right. I mean like for, for everything we've talked about, like Wolfen is a really fun to watch movie because it's just like, it's, it's so wild and like stuff just keeps happening for, for often not really much reason. And so like the movie is at the very least engaging <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah the last thing is that um that guy fergie that we talked about kind of like this wolf dude randomly calls the police like, like calls um 911 and reports a fire somewhere do you know what that was about he was like i have to report a fire and so he gets the like the um the fire people <laughs> i don't know why i'm tripping up on that um he gets the fire department to come out to this like area this park he goes out there on his motorbike um and i guess he can sense that like the wolfen are out there and he's like oh i knew you'd be out here and then they kill him what the hell was that about yeah, so so i i, I, I kind of read the him calling the fire department was him like trying to get help uh to show up in in like a surreptitious way you know like he he doesn't want to say there are magical ghost wolves in the park so he says something normal that's trying to get people out there i see and he and he lies about his name too when when he makes the call you know like so so like that's him he's just he's just trying to get people to show up but like I, but like he loves the world so much. Yeah. So like, was he trying to get them there for them to like kill them, or like right. I just I didn't understand yeah, like, that scene. <laughs> like like a lot of a lot of the motivation for who the wolves kill feels really confusing because he should be like, like this is another one of those beats where it feels like okay maybe maybe he's the the ally right maybe Dewey has to team up with this like zoologist who's a huge wolf nerd to understand the mm-hmm. spirit wolves and, and to help them, you know, like that, that feels like what the plot of this movie should be, but no, it's just like, it's a bunch of confusing nonsense that just never ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a fun watch though. It was a uh, very funny, very entertaining. Oh yeah. The, the movie, the, all things, all things considered, this movie is fantastic. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and for suggesting this uh, piece piece of magical work. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to to bring up before we close out here? I I, I think I'm I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I haven't even mentioned that you're from like I mentioned you from vegan uh, horror banger, but I didn't like <laughs> mention what that was. <laughs> it's all right I, you know i i have a podcast it's, right. it's horror vanguard you can find us online <laughs> yeah everyone go check out the horror vanguard um ash and john are brilliant they do such amazing um thoughtful 
uh, spooky but also hilarious podcast together. Um, so yeah, ch- check that out. Uh, it's on SoundCloud. Do you want to shout out? I guess where else they can find you online? Um, yeah, we're at we're at, at Twitter at Horror Vanguard, and we've also got a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Horror Vanguard. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ash. Once again, uh, have a very spooky Halloween. You too. Have a spooky birthday. And, yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll we'll do this very soon again. I have <laughs> many other films that I would like to watch. <laughs> I, I would love to. Come come on our show again. That would be great. <laughs>